When you take something as beautiful as the gospel, and I, I, I believe the gospel is a wonderful, beautiful story when it's understood. And when you force that on somebody with oppress in oppressive ways, you destroy the message of it. Because native people, not they are not just are traditionally, we don't just listen to the story. We evaluate the storyteller. And if the storyteller isn't consistent with the story, then we don't believe the story. Hi, friends. I'm Amy Julia Becker, and this is Love is Stronger Than Fear, a podcast about pursuing hope and healing in the midst of personal pain and social division. Today, I get to talk with Terry Wildman. Terry has led a team of indigenous people, and they have translated the New Testament, wait for it, from English into English. And they use the Greek, I don't mean that, but I didn't mess up in what I just told you, in that they were trying to translate the New Testament into a different way of seeing the world through the English language that was more accessible and available to Native people. So Terry's going to explain that new actor translation and what that offers, both to Indigenous peoples as well as to the church more broadly. Uh, I want to let you know, we have a free copy that we get to give away of this New Testament uh, First Nations version. I've been using it personally and really appreciating the perspective it offers. So if you are someone who is interested in the New Testament, you know, do what you need to do to be a part of this giveaway, which means going to my social media platforms. So you can find me at Amy Julia Becker on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. And you can find out there what you need to do in order to be a part of this giveaway. I really appreciated everything that I learned from talking with Terry today, and I'm sure you will too. My guest today is Terry Wildman, the lead translator, general editor, and project manager of a new translation of the New Testament. It's called the First Nations Version, and we are going to talk all about it today. Terry, welcome. Hey, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, so there's a lot I want to talk to you about today, but I thought we needed to start at the beginning, which is to say, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and especially as it relates to how you came up to be the project manager, lead translator, all those things I just said, general editor of a new translation of the New Testament. So tell us about this. Sure, I'd love to. Um, Well, first of all, I'll say my wife and I live in Maricopa, Arizona today. We live on the traditional lands of the Pima and Tohono O'odham. My native ancestry includes both Ojibwe and Yaqui. So uh, we're talking about the First Nation version of the New Testament today. And uh, this was, uh, my wife and I um, have been in uh, ministry with native uh, people for uh, just, just over 20 years. Mm. Um, we started out um, on the Hopi Indian Reservation in northern Arizona, and we, uh, uh, I, passed, I, I served with YWAM a couple of years and pastored a church for three years there mm-hmm. on Second Mesa. So um, I never dreamed I'd ever be involved in a Bible translation um, or, um, or, you know, in any way. Yeah. I, I wasn't trained for it. I wasn't uh, um, even thinking of that. But what happened as, I, as we were living on the reservation there and I was 
working on building relationships with with Hopi people, and and uh, many of them were 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 interested in the message of Jesus and mm. uh, and everything, and um, and so I. But I noticed that they weren't in the meetings we were having, a lot of the men and women weren't connecting uh, deeply with the, you know, like the new international version we were using. Mm -hmm. And so I began to experiment a little bit with um, rewording some of the scripture uh, to have more of a native feel to it. You see, most of, most people, most native people don't speak their language. Right. Uh, We, uh, because of um, government assimilation policies, because sure. of church uh, boarding schools and things like that, we uh, we most of us are unable to speak our language. And so all these Bibles that were translated into our native tongue, um, sure. they most of our people, 95%, probably can't read them. So that's so interesting. And so In other they words, are, like the work has been done to translate from English into native languages, which is different than translating into the language that the people you've been working with would actually be able to receive as their own. Right. That's right. And so um when, when I lived on the Hopi reservation, as we began to experiment with these, this rewording in English, we're doing it in English now because, you know, uh, the people aren't reading their own languages. For example, we, when I pastored a church on Hopi, I found a, in, in the storage room in a box, I found a box of Hopi New Testaments written in the Hopi language. Yeah. But again, I couldn't find only maybe one person who could partially read that Hopi Bible. Wow. Um, so it wasn't even in use. It wasn't being used. used. And so um, I just began to do some research and to try to figure out, has there been a translation that's been done in English worded for our native people? Right. And I couldn't find one. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of Bibles with native covers on them and, and things like that, simple mm. translations. <clears throat> and so I, and so I just began to experiment and in that experiment, working with some of the native men and women and getting ideas from them and putting those ideas together. As we looked at verses, some of my favorite verses, we began to reword them and I was starting to get a lot more feedback and interaction by the men and women that were involved in that process. So that's kind of the beginning. That was way yeah. back in, in 1993. Hmm. And my wife and I were li living on the Hopi Res there, and I was pastoring a church there. And then it really wasn't until about, um, I'm, I'm sorry, not 1993. I'm, 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 I'm 10 years off. 2003. <laughs> okay, still a while ago. <laughs> 2003. Okay, but it, but uh, almost 20 years ago. <clears throat> and so um, after I had been uh, experimenting with that, and uh, my wife and I decided to do a, a, a CD. We we're both recording artists. Hmm. So we did a CD that was a spoken word CD and um, went from creation to Christ. Yeah. And and retold the story 
kind of, you know, brought down to about a 50 minute CD. Yeah. Uh, condensing it down, telling the main elements all the way through. And we did it using this kind of English that was related to our native people using terms for God, like creator and great spirit and other language that, uh, that wasn't kind of churchy language. Yeah. And, and that CD, we uh, ended up submitting it to the Native American Music Awards and it won best spoken word that year mm. in 2008. Yeah. And so by that time I thought, wow, I think, I think this is something that could be important people are receiving this. People are liking our CD. And I kept uh, working on more and more verses. So then my wife and I began to travel. We traveled all across Turtle Island, North America, and we uh, shared it at tribal centers and tr native churches on reservations. And I began to use this, these reworded passages yeah. from Psalms and Ephesians and the Gospels. And we would use them in, uh, as my, my wife and I would do music. And the feedback we got as I read these passages was amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, Native people would come up to me and say, you say it in English the way we hear it. I mean, think it in our language. Right. You, uh, what Bible were you reading from? Um, I said, well, there isn't a Bible like that. And, I, and they said, well, there should be. Mm. Um, and so that feedback kind of encouraged me. And I started getting other feedback from people and encouragement along the way. Um, and finally, uh, I committed myself to doing it, even though I didn't, I couldn't find anyone else that was doing it. Uh, so I just prayed, I prayed hard and, mm. and I, I started the process. We did a book called birth of the chosen one. Yeah. Which is this, the Christmas story. Right. Uh, I did another one um called uh um when the great spirit walked among us which is the four gospels in one story okay. <clears throat> and i built a website i i created a facebook page so people would see that i was launching out with this project yeah and i was i was getting help i was asking native people to help me give me feedback and things like that but then when i started the action in 2015 i started on matthew starting the actual New Testament okay, and working hard using a Logos Bible software. And, you know, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I know how to access Greek scholars. Okay, I know how to access all this information, but a Bible translation organization in Canada called One Book uh, reached out to me, the CEO, Wayne Johnson, and he saw what we were doing. He found yeah. us accidentally on the internet <laughs> when he was looking for something else and said, wow, I like this project you're working on. How would you like to talk about working together and partnering with a Bible translation organization? Mm. And so that's what we did. And so in June, 2015, we, our, our ministry, Rain Ministries, partnered with One Book of Canada. Yeah. Uh, One Book is, was at the time doing 35 uh, translations in Africa, working with indigenous peoples. And the, their organization, their philosophy is the missionary or the, the non-native person does not do the translation. Right. Um, and so they wanted the indigenous people to do the translation. So we agreed and we partnered together. And that was 
uh, how we began this uh, project. And that really gave me what I needed to feel confident enough that this would be a a received translation and it would be well done and uh, and respected. So that's what I, uh, that was kind of how it began. Thank you so much for that story. Um, And I, and obviously the fact that that was 2015 and we're talking almost in 2022 tells me how long a labor of work and love that this, this has been. And I know you weren't alone in doing that. I think it might be helpful to even just um, pause for a minute on two things. Like one, as you said, on some level, you're translating from Greek to English, but to a different, it's not a different English in the sense of words that would not be familiar to me as an English speaker and as a white person, but they are, it's a way of seeing the world that is not necessarily as familiar as uh, it would, you know, maybe the NIV or some other translation would be to me. And I think that speaks to the idea, it might just be worth saying that the Bible has always been a book that is meant to be translated, that even the first copies of the Bible we have are translations in the sense that we know Jesus was not speaking Greek, and yet we have his words in Greek because that was the people who were reading those first Bibles were speaking in Greek, or we have these Greek copies of what we call the Old Testament, even though it was originally written in Hebrew. But the Bible has always been a scripture that is meant to be accessible to people in their native languages. And what I hear you saying is essentially uh, for indigenous peoples in America, uh, the English that I know is the same language, but it's not the same way as of seeing the world. And so a new, a different way of translating the word of God is really helpful in terms of understanding who God is and what God wants us to know. Is that a fair way of kind of, I don't know. That that is right on, right on track. That's, that's the the perfect idea. The, the, the difference in the, in the English is we use different terminology than the the standard translations. We, we don't use the word God you know, we use the word creator or great spirit and sometimes a few other ways of referring to the divine being that, that, that the, Greek, uh, the Greek word. We also use the meanings of the names. Uh, right. Every name in the New Testament has a meaning. And so in that, and that relates to our native tradition of, that our names traditionally have meaning. Mm-hmm. And so, so and, and in the Hebrew language, that's true. So we put the meaning of the names in there. And we use other phrases uh, sometimes um, because of the way Christianity was brought to our native people and and forced on us, yeah. technically. Uh, and so we didn't, in in some sense, we didn't have make our own decision from reading the Bible or from hearing the gospel. We didn't make our own decisions. We were told this is what we have to do. Yeah. And so to me, faith comes out of a willing heart that that hears something. Faith comes by hearing, right? Yeah. And hearing the the word of creator, right. hearing his words and hearing that the story of the gospel. And so people hear, even in English, we hear in different ways depending on how we're raised. Words have different meanings to us sometimes and because of our experiences uh, some words can be negative words to us even though they're not necessarily mm-hmm. wouldn't be to other people uh, for example for example the word sin 
was yeah. a word that we did not use in the in the in the translation. We used broken ways, we used bad hearts, depending mm-hmm. on the context, because in our in the boarding schools, sin meant being speaking your language was a sin. Oh, wearing okay. long hair was a sin. sin. Okay. So basically sin was acculturation, right? Sin was assimilation, exactly. which, uh, or sorry, was a lack of assimilation, right? That's to, right. To, to be remain who you are and belong to your people was considered sin. And so to use That's that right. word is not helpful at all. That makes a lot right. of sense. It, it, it brings up barriers and even the word yeah. Christian can bring up barriers even the word church can bring up barriers because of those experiences. So we intentionally used other words so that those barriers don't immediately go up. Right. We're not trying to deceive anyone or any of our native people. We're just trying to present their scriptures in a way so that the barriers that these, the, the colonial experiment on our, on our right. people uh, produced um, aren't in the way. And then native people can make up their own mind based on the story of Jesus told in a more native way. Yeah. I, I want to come back to that point um, and talk a little bit more later about that colonialism and um, some of these themes you've brought up, but I wanted to ask first when you were, it sounds like when you're creating this uh, translation, it was specifically for indigenous peoples. And yet, yes, at least from my social media feeds and my, even my own experience, I know that it is being read by people broadly across America. And I'm curious whether you see there being like a different purpose in me as a white woman, you know, in Connecticut, reading this Bible than someone who is living on the reservation and um, encountering Jesus from a native perspective. Yes. Um that's one of the things that uh, uh, we learned early on as we began to uh, work on this translation and share portions of it. Yeah, is non non native people really liked it? You know, most of them, not everybody, of course, but non native people liked it. And our trans we formed a translation council as as part of this process. And our translation councils thought we thought, wow, we're making this for our native people, but we're seeing that it's also going to touch non-native people. Mm. And so is, is that okay? (laughs) We're saying, (laughs) of course it is, you know? So, so one of the things uh, that we say now is that this is not only a gift for our native, from native people to other native people, but it's also a gift from a group of native people to the dominant culture. Yeah. And, and we've seen that that, that gift has benefits uh, uh, to people because they get to hear the gospel freshly and new. And that's the feedback we get um, that from people uh, that are, are non-Native, that it's fresh and new and, and actually opens up new ways of seeing God. And, you know, a lot of people, we don't realize it, but have a monocultural view of God. Well, and even what you were saying about the um, hangups that, you know, people have with the word sin or church or Christian, Mm -hmm. those would be different in different cultural experiences. But I think a lot of people have, you know, where using new language can bring a freshness 
and an opportunity to engage with the stories and the truths in a very different way for really anyone. Uh, and I think that, and even just that we'll, we'll get to in just a second, um, reading from one of these passages in the New Testament, but I think that the experience of encountering the meaning behind the names, all of those things have a purpose specifically when you're thinking about what it means to translate in a native context, but they have um, a different but somewhat similar purpose for me to read and say, oh, I never thought about it that way. That's a really mm -hmm. helpful lens. So I can see why it can be used in a variety of contexts in a really, um, really helpful way. And it also follows the I, the tradition of our Native American storytellers. Mm. We, uh, our storytellers traditionally told those stories, our ancient stories, in ways that were unique to the storyteller and meaningful, meaningful to the listeners. So a storyteller would draw from history, tradition, and experience. And they, they will ensure the essence of the story is preserved mm -hmm. without the need to present a strict word-for-word -word recital. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and, and one of the things is, uh, if you really read the, the four Gospels, you will see that the, the gospel writers actually reordered some events. Certainly. Yeah. Uh, they have, they take, I don't know, narrative Liberty or, I mean, the fact yes. that we preserved all four of them, I think shows exactly what you're talking about, which is rendering these stories for different contexts and from different perspectives is actually a part of not just our tradition, but actually a part of what God has given us as a way to understand um, who we are and who God is too. Yeah. Well, let's, I know I wanted to make sure we get a chance to actually read from this uh, translation. And as we are approaching the season of Advent and uh, Christians are looking ahead to the birth of Jesus, I thought we could actually um, just read from a passage of one of the birth stories. And I think uh, you had selected what is um, often called the Magnificat, right? So would you just explain what you're going to read? Um, and then we can listen to you read it and talk about it a little bit. So this portion of scripture um, is often called the Magnificat. It's Mary's prayer when um, after she meets with her sister or her cousin, yep. Elizabeth, and, and she just has this almost prophetic um, kind of inspirational, uh, exuberant song-like prayer. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we, in the, in the, in the, First Nation version, we call it the Song of Bitter Tears. And Bitter Tears is the name we chose for Mary, um, be, uh, partially because of the one of the roots for the word Mary could be Mara in the Hebrew, mm -hmm. which is bitter. Yeah. Um, and also because that she, uh, the, the prophecy she received from, uh, uh, I think it was uh, Simeon, mm -hmm. was that, um, and you know, uh, a sword would pierce her heart. Right. Uh, you know, um, and so uh, I'll share the, the song of bitter tears. Okay. When bitter tears heard this, she was filled with gladness and her words flowed out like a song. From deep in my heart, I dance with joy to honor the great spirit. Even though I am small and weak, he noticed me. Now I will be looked up to by all. The mighty one has lifted me up. 
His name is sacred. He is the great and holy one. Her face seemed to shine as she continued. He shows kindness and pity to both children and elders who respect him. His strong arm has brought low the ones who think they are better than others. He counts coup with arrogant warrior chiefs, but puts a headdress of honor on the ones with humble hearts. She smiled, looked up to the sky, and shouted for joy. He prepares a great feast for the ones who are hungry, but sends the fat ones home with empty bellies. He has been kind to the tribes of wrestles with Creator, Israel, who walk in his ways, for he has remembered the ancient promises he made to our ancestors, to father of many nations and his descendants. When she finished, they both laughed with joy, with hearts full of gladness. They told each other their stories. Mm, thank you. Um, and for anyone who is interested, that is what Luke 2, 46 through 55, I think. That's right. Um, yeah. And so it's, you know, very recognizable to me, I think, in terms of um, the sentiment behind what I've always heard of, you know, in either the NIV or NRSV translation of the Bible. And yet, of course, there are a lot of different words and a lot of different images, and that brings both a new life to it. It asks, uh, prompts me to ask questions in a new way. Um, but I also wanted to hone in on this particular verse 52, because it is one that without your little note in the Bible, I wouldn't know what you're talking about. He counts coup with arrogant warrior chiefs, but puts a headdress of honor on the ones with humble hearts. Will you just explain that uh, verse to those of us who don't know what counts coup means? To count coup for uh, many of the uh, Plains tribes um, was in when they were in war, possibly with another tribe. Yeah, many of them had what what was called a coup stick. Hmm. It was a stick. Uh, uh, I don't know, maybe a couple feet long, very short, maybe three feet. And on the end would have been a hawk claw or an eagle claw. Hmm. And so in battle, uh, a warrior would be fighting and uh they might reach out with a coup stick and scratch the face of an enemy rather than kill it, the mm -hmm. enemy to show that they had respect for that enemy, but also to say, I have you, I, you know, right. I could have I killed, could have you, killed you, you, but yeah. I spared you. And yeah. so that idea of, of counting coup, that would be counting coup. So what would happen is every time a warrior would, would, scratch an enemy and successfully do that he would put a, a slash on his coup stick and so he would count the number of slashes which hmm. would be counting his coups counting yeah, coup yeah. would be he actually uh, uh was successful in what he was trying to accomplish uh through this in in that battle and so we related that to yeah. to god doing that Right. To God essentially showing mercy without um, yes. uh, what uh, trying to justify, you know, the behavior of someone who is an arrogant warrior chief, according to the right. translation of it. Right. Um, the other thing 
I wanted to just ask a little bit about, and I know we've talked about this a little bit already, but the process of naming, because it came up here, you already explained bitter tears, but then you also, um, as you were reading, uh, mentioned wrestles with creator as a name for the people of Israel and father of many nations as a name for Abraham. I think places also are given their names as meanings rather than, so um, yes, Jerusalem, for example, I can't remember. It's, Village of it's, Peace. Village of Peace, right? Um, so talk to me about what difference it makes uh, to speak of uh, people names and place names with their meaning uh, as their primary identifiers? Like how, how, does that, how does that change the way we receive the word? Well, one of the things, uh, you know, for, for, for native people, uh, it connects to that uh, cultural value that we have that names have meaning traditional mm-hmm. it connects us to our traditional ways okay. so when they when they when we hear the bible and the names being presented that way instantly it it, it's, it draws us in and that's the feedback that we got probably the way we did names has been the most positive feedback we've gotten from our native people huh. for non-native people it's such a surprise to know Suddenly that names, all these names have meanings. And sometimes even the meaning of the name uh, gives insight to the story. Yeah, enriches the story. Absolutely. And then something, as you were just saying, some of the names are very, I mean, sometimes we'll even read in the Bible and it will tell us what a name means. Others, I'm sure you had to research. Were there anywhere you had to just make a guess or decide we're going to do it this way? There was, um, there was probably three or four, five, maybe five different names of places sometimes in a couple different, not people pretty much. It was mostly places Okay. that we just couldn't find the meaning of it. Yeah. And so what we did, I think one of them might've been uh, for um, one of the villages that Jesus spoke against in, in, in Judea that was yeah. going to face trouble because they rejected his message. Um, I think we called one of them village of bad spirits. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so we made that up, but, but when we had to make up a name, we tried to do it within the context of that story that that name yeah. is, is found in. And so, so it would make some kind of sense. And I'm actually, I realized I didn't ask this earlier and I should have, we, um, I know there was like a committee of people who were involved in this translation. It obviously started as something that you were doing, as you described in a, almost an ad hoc, like kind of figure it out as I go type of way. Was there then an official, I don't know, group of people from various backgrounds and perspectives who were um, just making these decisions? How did that work? Yes, and and you you can find uh, uh, about out about this whole process on our website. Okay. But our our translation council, we we created a translation council of twelve. I was one of the twelve, and it was selected from a cross section of Native North Americans, elders, pastors, young adults, men and women from differing tribes and diverse mm. geographic locations. Um, and the council also represented a diversity of church and denominational tradition, which helps minimize the bias 
and yeah. that every translation faces. Wow. That, how was that process of working together? I mean, that sounds on the one hand, a kind of ideal and beautiful, and on the other hand, unwieldy. And how do you ever <laughs> actually <laughs> make decisions? Well, the good thing was I already had, uh, because of all the 10 years that my wife and I traveled on the road, yeah. we had created many good relationships. And all of our council were people we knew okay. and people uh, we knew and, and agreed with basically in, in our philosophy of ministry. And so, um, yes, we had our 12 and we spent time in, in, um, in Calgary, Canada. We spent three weeks at a retreat center, all of our uh, uh people together as we hammered out some of these ways that we were going to translate different words. Wycliffe uh, had about, has about 180 or so words that they say are key words. So huh. we went through all 180 of those and decided how we're going to say those in English in a way that best relates in a general way to our native people. Yeah. We weren't trying to be tribally specific, but more general. And we do have a general way native people today uh kind of connect together and and you know we we a lot of us read a lot of the same native authors like black elk and chief joseph and chief seattle and all these early writers uh, where they spoke where they translated them into english in a way that was very close to our heart languages hmm. and so uh so we worked on that together but also we had beyond our translation council we also had probably another 30 or 40 more people that over the years that we did this translation of native people from, uh, from native inner varsity, from crew nations, from other places uh, that we, uh, that became reviewers and would review entire books and hmm. they would give feedback. We did this all on Google docs. That's so and cool. yes, yeah, sometimes we would run into some differences of opinions on things but we we finally settled on what what we have and it, it was not it was not difficult we didn't really have any arguments or anything we just really tried to think it through and question it and then say okay okay that works because because of this and and uh, I, I loved the experience I'd love to do it again <laughs> that's very cool yeah um, so well, actually, I was I was going to ask you this later, but I'll ask you now because you said it. Do you think you'll do? You said you mentioned having done some of this work on the Psalms. Like, do you think you will go back and look at either the entire, which is a big one, Old Testament, or some portions of it? We are praying about the entire uh, Old Testament, but it, we know we'll at least do some portions of it. Okay, I thought some that might be coming. Portions. Um, yeah. That that would be exciting. Well, so I, the other thing I really did want to ask about, and we've kind of hinted at it along the way, is this fraught relationship between Christianity and Native peoples within the United States, knowing, as you've mentioned, that there's a history of injustice and oppression, not even just about the fact that uh, there were white colonizers who called themselves Christians who were you know, doing abusive and oppressive things and taking over land, but specifically in the name of Jesus, like in the, yes. in the name of the church for so much of our history. And so um, I'm, I'm just curious to hear about the ways in which that history uh, impedes the message of the gospel um, and also whether this translation is able to speak into that in any way. 
Yeah. Um, when you take something as beautiful as the gospel, and I, I, I believe the gospel is a wonderful, beautiful story when it's understood. And when you force that on somebody yeah. with oppress in oppressive ways, um, you destroy the message of it because native people not, they are not just are traditionally, we don't just listen to the story. We evaluate the storyteller. Fair enough. And if the storyteller isn't consistent with the story, then we don't believe the story. Mm-hmm. Or we we look at the story differently, and we uh, we in some ways we judge the story by the storyteller. Right. And so that so today, you know, some say that less than five percent of our native people are uh, attending church. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and and are. are choosing to follow Jesus. And that, and that is because of the way this gospel was brought to us. This story was brought to us. And so it, it creates a, a unique kind of uh, problem, especially for bringing, you know, right. it, it's been, you know, on this continent about 500 years. And in those 500 years, why, why have so few natives embrace this and uh it's not because some people think it's all oh, because they're a bunch of heathens and they don't mm-hmm. want to be- believe the truth no that's that misses it at all because in the beginning before colonialism uh got strong and forceful there were some mm-hmm. missionaries that came and brought the message in a good way mm-hmm. and our native people responded in droves early mm-hmm. on it was later as as the forcefulness came in and as um, uh, treaties were broken and agreements were broken. And then Christian denominations got involved in all this that has created a lot of the trouble uh, and, and a lot of the controversy uh, with the gospel. As far as our translation, what we're hoping for, and, and we, we're seeing some success in this, we have stories of people coming uh, who were against Christianity who have re, re, have said, I can believe this now hmm. because I can, I see it differently right. and I can, they have to separate colonialism and the church involvement from the person of who Jesus is. Right. You know, our native people have always been open to other spiritual ideas Okay. from tribe to tribe. We've always shared our spirituality with one another. We never forced it on each other, at least for the most part, we didn't. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe somewhere in history, there was a group that did. But, but we openly shared it because we believed that our spiritual ways had value for everybody. Yeah. And so we were willing to listen to other spiritual ways because maybe Creator told them something we need. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and so in that way, we hope that the the First Nation version will represent the story of Jesus. Yeah. Without those colonial barriers and, and wordings and help p- Native people do what we've always done is look at another spiritual way and, and spiritual values and, and a story and see how it fits our stories and also to see how it fits our lives. And so um, I've got encouragement. We've got feedback that 
shows that we are hitting the mark and it's being used in that way and making a difference. Yeah, and I think that sense of separating out the um, colonial, what you were saying before, where it's like the only way to be a Christian essentially is to cut your hair and go to this school and wear these clothes, right? <laughs> We're like, actually, that has nothing to do with the message of the gospel. And part of the work of this translation is um, extracting the the purity, I guess, I don't know what the right word is, but of the essence of this message. Um, and I hope affirming that sense of there's, there are already connections in place, right? And using that language of, right. of creator in using the language of names that have meanings, there's a sense of this is not a um, discontinuity. This is not burying who you are uh, so that you can learn this new, better thing, but it's actually enhancing or um, adding to, or I'm, I'm not sure those are the right words either, but um, at least bringing into conversation what has already been revealed and understood within this spiritual way. And yet also saying, let me tell you about Jesus, because there's some places where, and there may be places where they hit up against each other. And there might be other places where it says, oh yeah, I already knew that guy. I just didn't know uh, him by that name. So I think there's some great beauty if we can remember the way that our, um, our culture is not the same as our, um, as who Jesus is and what he might mean in our lives. Well, one of the things that really uh, tells you something about our native people is that we have survived this whole season and, and generations of these assimilation policies and oppressive government uh, programs that have, have tried to assimilate us into their, into the dominant culture. And we've it, even though it was quite successful, right. we still have survived and we're mm -hmm. still working to hold on to who we are. Um, and, and many of us have to walk in two worlds. Yeah. Well, I'm grateful that you are walking in two worlds as far as um, bringing this message, not only to the people that you've clearly been called to and gifted to minister to, but also um, to those of us who, you know, are able to come to the scriptures with new eyes through the work that you've done. So thank you for that. All right. Thank you for listening. Mm, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much for listening to Love is Stronger Than Fear. I'm going to remind you one more time that there's a giveaway. You can look in the show notes for details or go to any of my social media platforms and uh, check out the post about how you can get your own copy of the First Nations version of the New Testament. Highly recommend it. Even if you don't win the giveaway, I would recommend that uh, this is worth purchasing and having really as a reference um, for a long, long time. And as always, um, I'd love for you to share the episode, subscribe to this podcast, give it a rating or review, um, share what you think about what we're doing over here, because I would love for more people to continue to benefit from these conversations. I love hearing from you all. Um, I get texts and emails and sometimes like, you know, messages on Facebook or Instagram when people listen to this podcast. It is such an encouragement to me to hear that you're listening and engaging. So please reach out if you uh, do have some words of you know, 
thanks or just something it made you think about or thoughts on the podcast. Um, I also want to say thank you to Jake Hansen for editing the podcast, to Amber Beery, my social media coordinator. She's amazing. I'm so grateful for her. And finally, I'm grateful for you. And I do hope and pray that as you go into your day today, you will carry with you the peace that comes from believing that love is stronger than fear.